we had a lucky head in the sled. Someone sent me a, a rubber egg. I don't know who it is to this day. I've got that, <laughs> but he had the egg. He got it out at the end. Hello and welcome to Hurdles. This episode is part two of an extreme sport mini-series where I have a selection of experienced athletes that are going to shine the light on their extreme sport. Hurdles discusses the physical, mental and emotional hurdles that successful people must overcome. I shall question and delve into their mindset which allowed them to achieve greatness. I shall review their careers and talk about moments of joy and adversity, allowing you, the listener, to relate. Today we are joined by Ashley Watson. Ashley competes in bobsleigh and was recently selected for the Jamaican team to compete in Beijing in the Winter Olympics. Ashley has an incredible story, from football to athletics and finally finding his purpose in bobsleigh, where he made history with the Jamaican team. For the first time in 24 years, a four-man crew will represent the nation. Once again, please follow Hurdles on at Hurdles Podcast on all social media. Without further ado, let's get started. I bet you're uh, recharging after a crazy couple of weeks. Yeah, it's like when I first came back, I, I was like, I'm just going to rest for a few weeks. But turns out that doesn't happen after an event like that. You've got new press and then family, friends want to see. And yeah, you end up not resting really. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, big crazy time. So Ashley, what is greatness in your eyes? So greatness is, 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 I thought it was a hard question, but then greatness in my eyes is um, reaching the top level in whatever you choose to do. So for example, for me, it was um, um, the sport of bobsleigh and uh, the, the, great, the greatest thing you can do in bobsleigh, go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. So um, I got to the Olympics, so the, um, what I think is the greatest thing I could have done in the sport, we didn't get a medal. Um, but yeah, I think it's just reaching the reaching the best level of competency you possibly can, and then doing well um, at it. And I think to be greatness as well is also what you do off the um, outside the sport as well. So it's, you know, inspiring the, the future and um, just trying to help others, help other athletes and stuff like that. Just like my favorite athlete, in my opinion, the greatest athlete of all time would be um, Muhammad Ali because of how he was outside the ring as well as in the ring. So, that, yeah, that would be my definition. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great answer. And that is, that's a, an interesting point that it's not just what you do on the pitch or on the rink or on the track. It's what you do off it and your legacy that runs with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally agree. So tell us a bit about your past then. So before bobsleigh, which is what you're, you're renowned for, you played a bit of football and a bit of sprinting. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yeah, so my school put me for trials for the district team, the Peterborough District, which I got in. And um, I remember I was playing against, I think we were playing against Leicester, and I scored a top bins, beautiful goal. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, after a minute, it was, it was pretty beautiful. And then after that game, I was walking to my car, and a Norwich um, scout came up to me um and my family and said they'd like me to me to go for a trial um which i which i did it was great played with some amazing players um i didn't end up getting like a a, a pro contract or anything there um but already i was doing um athletics um to get faster for football um so i thought if i do athletics and get faster i'm just gonna get better and better and better um, so I ended up, I was doing like county athletics at the same time, um, was county champion, I ended up going to what English schools, um, the English schools champs was like the national champs, all the, all the best athletes in schools, um, go to this event and, um, in individual events, I didn't get a medal, but in the relay at Cambridgeshire, um, what I was representing, got a bronze medal was pretty good and you know all these sports I did in the past actually really translated well uh, into bobsleigh. Yeah I was, I was gonna say that that it's so interesting that you've gone from at your age being elite in uh, football and then athletics and then 
those avenues maybe narrowed a bit and you finally found your passion and your real purpose in bobsleigh where it's a combination of football and sprinting isn't it with the the technical side of of football and then the sheer power that you need for, for the sprinting side that's it yeah it was um when you like think back to it it's like, oh everything i it was like it was like it was meant to be um you know i had had like a bit of raw speed which had to tide it massively but yeah everything just came to plan and you know bobsleigh is a it's a sport when you push as hard as you can, um, which you need the leg speed for, but it's very technical and it's a team sport and football is a team sport as well. So I've got a lot of the skills from communication and teamwork and yeah, just all, all the skills you need to read to be a good teammate and from mainly for f- football, I'd say, yeah. Definitely. I think bobsleigh, from an outsider's perspective, obviously I don't know as much as you do, of course, but you wouldn't think just from looking at it that it's so technical, but I bet you have to be measured in every single like part of it yeah so it's it's technical from the off really so you'll when you watch a bobsleigh um any team there'll be this certain chance and we always practice them chance to make sure we all hit the sled um at the same time um and then when we jump in the sled as you can see like this picture behind me um that driver is just about to jump in and then two steps after someone else jumps in, two steps after someone else jumps in, two steps after someone else jumps in, then we all sit down together. And if that's not done, if one person messes up, it'll mess up everyone. And if it's not done fast, you're going to ruin all the velocity in the sled because you're basically one big parachute taking all the wind. So you want to be as aerodynamic as possible. So, And them sleds aren't big. And I'm 107 kilos um, body wow. weight. So it's, um, it's, 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 yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's a crazy sport. It's... Yeah, yeah. mental I think everyone's watched Cool Runnings and I think we'll get onto that later on which is why the Jamaican team is so iconic but everyone's Listen. seen that and you just think wow why would you want to put yourself through that <laughs> yeah it's just it's it's just one of them things I always had a dream of um, being an international um, athlete and then long term dream is to be an Olympian but if I'm honest it was one of them dreams what I didn't think I'm, I'm pretty realistic. Realistically, I won't become an Olympian, but that's going to be my aim. I'm going to still try my hardest for it. And that's how you achieve greatness, isn't it? That you're going to, mm. you've got to be real with yourself, but you can't ever let that biggest dream and desire ever fade because that's what you're working towards every day. That's what gets you in the gym every day. That, that's it. That's it. And um, me personally, if I don't have a, a goal, um, I don't have that motivation really. But if I know Olympics is possible and... Each session I do will make me close to that dream. I'll train hard in the sessions. So, yeah. Sounds perfect. So how did bobsleigh come about then? Yeah, so it's it's kind of, it's, it's a long story, actually. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll simplify it. But um, <laughs> I, I remember I was in secondary school. Um, no, I was in sixth form in secondary school, yeah. And someone I used to sprint against um, he, for Luton, um was on his Facebook was saying he just made the first round of the bobsleigh trials and at this point it was Great Britain um and I was like what bobsleigh what, what are you talking about it's like cool runnings sport I was like, <laughs> yeah what are you talking about and I researched it and I kind of saw oh a lot of people transition who, who are fast and powerful uh, into bobsleigh tend to be good bobsleigh athletes and I honestly just thought I've I'm happy doing my athletics I've absolutely nothing to lose by seeing if I can give it a go. So I just emailed um, British Bobsleigh at the time um, and said, how do you even get involved in a sport like this? What do I have to do? Um, here's my sprinting background. And in, 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 in England, there's a website called Power of 10 and it has all your races on. So I just put that link in and said, you know, you can see my times and stuff. And then just, they just invited me down for... Um, a trial so it's an open trial but they said yeah you can you can attend this it's down in London so I went and I was 18 at the time and I came second out of everyone there and turns out the person who beat me ended up being a double Olympian anyway uh, in, in bobsleigh in the future and he was much older than me he was about 28 at the time um so yeah they took me on on the development squad which I um, was just training with them. I was in my second year of my undergrad. I literally woke up for a 9am lecture and I was just having my breakfast and I get a phone call and it's like, oh, 
Hello, is this Ashley um, speaking? Yep. Oh, we'll book you on a flight for tomorrow for Switzerland. Can you come? No, not not no. like, a, there was no prep. I was like, uh, it, it, yeah. And then next thing I know, I was in Switzerland and we did some training there and then straight to Germany for the World Junior Champs where we came 11th. And that was kind of my introduction to Bob saying, and I just kept competing, kept competing. Um, and I'm ended up being in like the World Cup team, uh, World, World, World Championship team. And then I'm jumping massively forward now. And then in, in 2017, I then stopped with bobsleigh and that I thought that was me done. And that was a mixture of like um, a few personal issues. So I just had to like, I couldn't, I couldn't focus on training and stuff. And like, I had to just kind of look after men, like mental health and stuff. And it was just, we lost our national lottery funding as well. So I thought, well, I can't really afford to do the sport anyway. And I kind of stopped. And then do you want me to like tell you how I transitioned into Jamaica as well? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Go yeah. For it. And then, um, Soon after that, I did have, um, I was contacted by um, Jamaican squad because my heritage is, is, is Jamaican. My dad was born and raised there. And I actually, funny enough, always had a dream of, of representing um, Jamaica in some way because I thought I've represented um, Great Britain, you know, where I'm born and been raised. Um, to represent my heritage would be amazing as well because both these countries, I've been, even though I was born here, I'm, um, my family has raised me as like a Caribbean child. A lot of the, lot of my growing up has been the Caribbean way, just the culture has been ingrained in me. Um, I've been to the Caribbean a lot of times and it kind of feels like I said, it's like home, just like hit uh, England feels home. So I thought, you know, without without Jamaica, I wouldn't be born. Without England, uh, I, I wouldn't be born. So to represent both is is, is a great honour. Um, and I did talk to him, said, yeah, I'm interested in competing for you guys. Did a few... Um, some of them are based in the UK so I did um, some training with the pilot and his coach and that, that was pretty cool um, and they were happy saying yeah let's get you on board but in my life at this time I was I knew I was about to um, start a master's degree uh, at Sheffield Hallam and I was just like I, I just can't do a season now I can't start a master's and then be away for months I just can't I can't do that um, and then I just said to him look I don't want to annoy anyone or the team might be set by here, but I can, the season of the, the Olympic season is probably the season I can prove to uni of getting good grades and try and get on a scholarship with them. And then maybe they'll let me go. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. I, I was training, I transitioned my training back from, because I started doing a bit of powerlifting. Again, I needed um, something to keep me driven. And I liked the gym side of, of bobsleigh and being strong. I just like, I just like that. Um, so I was doing powerlifting, actually got a national bronze medal uh, in it as well. Oh, wow. Um, so I just trans, I got really, really, really strong. And I just trans started transitioning that strength, pure strength into functional strength um, from about December 2019. Wait, no, 2020, sorry. Yeah, and literally, I was literally after work um, and studying and stuff, I would go and pitch black rather onto a field with a head torch on and start doing my sprints and stuff and start, like, getting myself ready. So it was crazy. It, it was, it didn't matter if it was raining, snowing or anything, I'd, I'd um, be training five, six days a week for it. Um, the gym sessions are okay because you're inside, but I had to fit up. I've just been doing static movements, squatting, benching, deadlifting. I had to make that more functional, more explosive. So I had to do my sprint, the sprint training as well. And then, yeah, made the team. And uh, next one, I was in America from September. Wow. What a ride from eating your breakfast at 9am to the Jamaican <laughs> Olympic team in a couple of years. I mean, there's not many yeah. that can talk about that. But I doubt you made that 9am, did you? I did. You still were? <laughs> still made that 9am, yeah. That's an outfit for Sheffield Adam. That's it. Um, so I had to, I had to um, get to uni as soon as possible anyway to tr explain why I'm not going to be in university for a while and to try and sort that out and see if that was even possible. So I thought, yeah, let's let's go to this 9am. <laughs> Good on you. So if we take it back, I mean, that is a, a brilliant summation of, of what you've achieved and, 
again, that is just an incredible journey. But the first time you ever went bobsleigh, because you've just got to throw yourself in there, haven't you? How were yes. you feeling when you first got in that bobsleigh and went down that track? Um, first ever time, right? First ever time, yeah. yeah. So this is a funny story, actually. The first ever time I was in a bobsled, I was driving it. No. Um, and obviously, in the Olympics just gone, I was a brakeman. So there is, because I was part of that developmental team for GB back in the day, um, there's an opportunity to go to Eagles in Austria and do some, some, some sliding, which I didn't really understand it much because maybe I just misread the email. But um, it was like a driving school. So I was like, oh, I'm driving. So I had to like look at some YouTube videos about they said try and learn the track before you get there, which I tried. And then um, literally how you practice driving is they'll they'll walk from, it's called a track walk. All bobsledders do this, even the, the best in the world um, at the Olympics just gone. You, you, you do a track walk and you walk for your coach and they'll be like, okay, at this corner, you do this, that corner, this is going to happen. So make sure you do this and don't do this, whatever. Um, and like our, the coach was um, Lee Johnson at the, at the time. Um, he would actually get his hands because it, it's like D-rings. You steer like this, really, really with your fingers. You don't actually do that unless you're about to crash. You just, like you're, you just pull, in with, pull in with your fingers. It's all really delicate. Yeah, you literally, if you're watching someone, it would just be like that. It would just be like this. Oh, wow. Um, the it's only really time you ever yeah, sometimes, for example, beginners, you do this, and that's called like a Robin Hood. Um, that's if you're about to crash and you need to save your, your sled, basically, from crashing. Which, for those um, not listening, is just yanking your... Not watching, sorry, just yanking your hand the other way. Yeah, just trying to save it. Roll over, you just yeah. do a yank. Um, and he, he would actually get his hands like this, and then you put your hands in there. He'll try... Because driving a bobsled, it's hard to explain, but it's all kind of g-force it's all physics and it will say like oh this you'll start to feel this kind of movement but you want to make sure your hands are here and you're doing this it's pretty confusing um and then i went half like you go around half because if you're just starting as a beginner you don't go to the top of the track straight away halfway down you sit in bobsled song goes behind you push you off and you do it and, you and just, i crashed i'm not surprised you've <laughs> learned through youtube how to drive a bobsleigh and they just send you off i mean yeah i'm trying to think you can't really learn in any other way unless you've got simulators but the best way to learn is is to do that and to crash yeah and you know i i, I felt bad for the person behind me because I, I i i got past the hardest corner in the track was corner nine but i crashed at corner 11 um and then went again and crashed again and my feelings before that were like hmm, this is kind of crazy honestly i think that was i was just thinking this is nuts what i'm about to do um because at this point, I'd never seen a bobsleigh in person. And just before our session, you can, we were seeing, it wasn't actually bobsleighs, it was um, luge. Yeah. Um, so that's feet first going down. And they were going down, literally, if you blink, you'd miss it. It would go straight past you and you'd feel the wind. And you hear like a... I'm like, I'm about to do that. Am I nuts? What am I doing? And then, yeah, I, I just was thinking, just trusting the coach, I'd be all right. And obviously, I had a lot of nerves. And then when I crashed twice, I decided driving's not for me. I'm going to be a brakeman. And one of the GB drivers was there and they let me push him. And this actually, I think this push actually got me selected for World Juniors. Um, so I did a push and we pushed actually a good time, even though it was just like a, my first ever push on a bobsled. And again, I wasn't nervous. No, I, no, obviously I was nervous, but... Because it was a GB driver who I knew had experience. I wasn't that as nervous as when I was going down. I was just more like, don't let, get in the sled, get in the sled. Just make sure you get in um, and make sure you break at the end. Um, I was more nervous about the breaking at the end because if you don't break properly, you can get really hurt or you can damage the equipment, what's really not ideal. So, yeah, I just think I was just like, because I didn't really know what to expect to feel like. It was just like, nervous of what to expect yeah uh, you can't fear what you don't know yeah so exactly that you say, you say there you try piloting and you try brakeman for those that don't know bobsleigh which most of the listeners won't can you explain the different roles yeah so in in bobsleigh so for men it's going to be a two-man sled what's going to have two people in or four-man sled what's going to have four people in so when you're learning to drive or you've probably been a you will you've always been a two-man sled 
And and for women, it's two women or monobob. What's just one person in the sled, they push and drive. And there's a pilot who drives the sled. They will always jump in first. So if you're looking at be that guy at the front of the sled there, that is the pilot. Their job is to drive you down by using D-rings and driving down. And all everyone else in the sled um, is what we call a brakeman. So in a two-man, they'll be at the back and they push the sled, jump in, stay as still as possible, tense their core. At the end, they will pull up, up on a lever or put what put like anchors of metal thing into the ice, what will slow down the sled, just like an anchor in a ship. And in a four-man sled, there'll be four brakemen, even though the only person who brakes is at the back, but you're just still called a brakeman. If you're pushing the sled, you're, you're called a brakeman. And their job really is to be as powerful and fast as possible, push that sled, because your start time will reflect your end time. So the, normally the fastest push time, for example, the Olympics just gone, Francesco Friedrich, who won the two-man and four-man, had the fastest start times in both um, the two-man and four-man races. Because that then, the, the speed that you go at the start then determines your velocity down the track, I'd presume. Yeah, yeah. So normally, say you had 20 world-class pilots, um, if you push the eight, let's say the eighth fastest time, you'll probably end up normally eighth, but you could probably gain two places, end up sixth or lose two places. You normally end up around that. So if you're pushing the 20 fastest time, absolutely no chance you're going to um, get a medal. No, no chance. Yeah. So it's all about, all about that start. Yeah. So you've got a pretty crazy life because I saw you on the, the Hallam sports page when you were about to go to the Winter Olympics. So oh, yeah. you're, you're doing your bobsleigh. You obviously got to keep up with the gym. You got your sprints. You're doing a master's degree and you do a bit of business, right? I mean, most people have a very busy year when doing a master's or when yeah. business or competing as an Olympian. You're doing all three. How do you balance that? Yeah. So yeah, you're right. When people said just my business, well, so um, I have a sports injury clinic. I uh, was a sports therapist before completing my, my master's in physiotherapy. So um, people would come to me event like shoulder knee injuries and stuff, and I would try and try and help them. Um, people thought I was crazy trying to do that and do a master's, and then trying to train for Olympics as well. Uh, yeah, it does sound crazy. So I'm one of these people. Anyone can make excuses. Um, I think like, a lot of people talk you out of things, what you can do. But when I get massive obstacles like that, I just sit back and I say, right, is it possible? Maybe. How could I make this possible? Um, so and I, I will just plan it out. I'll just say, okay, so my, ma- my education comes first. The, the master's comes first. So... If I need to if go to a placement or go to a lecture or whatever, that, that will have to come first. Then secondly, I need to be able to afford to do this master's. So I'm going to need to work. And then obviously Olympics is my childhood dreams. So I need to do that. So I'll just kind of find out when I can train, what times I can study and how much work I can do. So I have to obviously reduce my income by working less. And on season is very, very stressful um, because obviously physiotherapy is a very practical based course. Um, and I was abroad. So I'm doing a dissertation as well. And literally, wow, my, I just basically, crazy. I basically had just no social life um, last year in 2021. I had no social life. So, and that was just something I was willing to sacrifice because I'm going to socialize. You know, I've got social life now. It just meant like on season, I'd go. A bobsleigh is like a normal long day because a lot of it's admin and fixing the sled and stuff. So I spend, let's say, all morning and late afternoon doing bobsleigh. Then we get back, shower up and stuff, have some, have some dinner, and then pure, pure um, study. And then maybe have about an hour chill time and, and sleep again and again and again. That was that. Travel days in the airport, dissertation. It just, um, yeah, I... Whatever free time I got turned to study time and the training and yeah, just, just had to do it. it yeah. It's just mental. That's <laughs> the sacrifice you have to make, isn't it? That's it. it. Like I didn't see my friends properly um, from like, from like, yeah, I say from around summertime. I didn't see him till about 
when I got back from Beijing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see him. Even like in December, they asked, oh, Ash, let's catch up. Um, and I was like, I can't risk getting COVID and not flying out. Yeah. Um, and then it fun- turns out I actually did get COVID around Christmas time and I couldn't go to, to Austria to compete. But um, yeah, I just didn't want to sack up what, what was, there's no point saying, oh, I'm, I missed that Olympics, Olympics because I ended up going out with my friends and getting COVID so I can fly. So. It's not, it's the choice you've got to make, isn't it? I mean, you say, right, I sacrifice everything and I achieve my childhood dream or I mess about mm. and I'll have a comfortable life now, but I'll always live my life with that part of regret. Yeah, exactly. I, I just couldn't risk that, no way. So your day in the life then, you were saying how crazy it was with bobsleigh in the morning and the evening and you get powerlifting and you've got university. You've obviously got to fuel that and you're 107 kilos and you've got to be able to shift. So you've got to be eating correctly. What's your nutrition mm. like? What's your, what I eat in a day as such? I tend to have four meals a day, so breakfast and three others. And um, there won't be massive meals, but it's, it's um, some sort of protein, ne- never normally processed. Um, I don't just try and stay away from processed food. Um, so that might be chicken or red meat or fish. And then I tend to have that some complex, um, complex carbs. So normally in the sauce of either rice, potato or pasta. And then a lot of veg. And um, I try to snack on fruit if I can. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I'm human. So sometimes I have chocolate and I have the odd takeaway and stuff. But normally I'd be pretty strict to my diet and try and stay stay away from any junk, really, because I know that's not going to f- help me get to the Olympics having you know, a KFC or something like that. And now you've got to have that reward, haven't you, for all that sacrifice you put yeah. in throughout the rest of the year. But Absolutely. yeah, you, you just literally have to refuel your body, don't you? So the carbs, the proteins, people think, uh it's all about the the training and the activity but i believe and i'm sure you'll agree with me it's it's almost 50 50 one side you've got activity and training and the other side you've got everything else that is encompassed with it so your sleep that's so important your food your vitamins your mental health everything it's 50 50 definitely like um basically how i see it is food to me is fuel so if I don't have the fuel, I'm not going to be able to do my session as good as possible. So I'm missing out on gains or I'm missing out on speed development just because I'm not doing something that's pretty easy by eating the right food. I, I think eating healthy, um, if you know how to cook, is, is, is pretty simple. I know my body recovers so much faster, like ridiculously faster from eating healthy food rather than eating junk food. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly how you have to be. And once again, that's a sacrifice you have to make. So what would be your daily mindset? I, I like your approach, actually, that is it possible? Well, many might think it's impossible, but you know what? I'll make it possible. And you set out your time and you make your priorities and you just put in the graph to make sure you get it done. But what's mm-hmm. your inner mindset? How do you stay strict with yourself? What's your motivation? What's your why? A lot of the times it is... For example, say you say obviously this happens to everyone. Um, miss it must happen to everyone. You get up, you got training, and you just like, God, I got training, and you are just not that motivated for it. But what then suddenly just makes me go, yeah, I need to get a session here, hit it hard. Is um, my competitors? I I, I probably I training today. I need to train as hard as them. I need to if I miss a session, my my competitors now have a session above me. So they're improving faster than me. That, that's how I always think, yeah, all the time. Even like, for example, I want to get selected for that four-man sled. So if someone's trying to knock me off that sled, I'm not going to let them do that because they can't beat my work ethic. If, if I work the hardest, and but even if I might not be the most natural talented, but if I work the hardest, they can't, they could, they can't beat me. That's how I'm, my mindset is. So, yeah, I never miss sessions or not try 100% because I... I know that other people are trying just as hard as me. So I need to keep that up. Yeah, no, that's good, actually. And I'm sure you guys push yourself as a team and you will keep yourself honest and think, well, he's training, I've got to train. And, and yeah, I mean, you're very honest there that your, your motivation is almost your fear of someone else mm. working harder than you. So you will dispel that and you won't allow that because, yeah, yeah your, your Olympic bobsleigh team Lots of people, loads of people have the dream of competing in the bobsleigh and competing in the Olympics. 
but there are just four places. You may have reserves and backups, but there are just four places on that sled and you have That's to do it. everything you can to make it yours. Yeah, yeah. And like, again, I'm one of these people, what's the point? In my mind, this is how I just worked. What's the point of me doing something and training this hard for it if I'm not going to be the best? So I don't want to just be on that sled. I want to be the best on that sled. I want people to know our Ashley's on that sled. It's going to be dangerous. Uh, they're going to push faster. And, and if, if I don't have that mindset, I'll just train to be average. I want to train to be the best. And even if I don't end up the best, at least I tried my hardest. So. Um, more often than not, if you train like you're the best and you're consistent, you are going to become the best because everyone's yeah. got the same everyone's got the same time to put the effort in so no i respect mm. that a lot so all your hard work and your commitment and that strong mindset of yours uh, meant that you were called up to the winter olympics as we discussed where were you when you received the call how did you react i was upstairs in this house so i i, I the thing is i knew the call would be on the 17th even though like teams you could see what teams in theory had qualified. Um, we didn't get the call to the next day to say who's 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 going to go because obviously there is more people in the squad. Yeah, I got that call and I I just like ran straight back downstairs. I was like, "Yep, mum, going to Olympics." And then yeah, everyone starts going mad. With my sister, she was going mad. I had some champagne. <laughs> Good on you, celebrating style. But you you must just pinch yourself and go. Oh, Ashley Watson, I'm off to the Olympics. And you can say that forever now. Even now feels weird. So like the whole time at the Games, I know I'm an Olympian, but I don't feel like it because it's such a thing you've been working so hard for. And now it's actually real. You, you don't believe it's real. It's strange, very strange feeling. Because at the time as well, you focused so much on it and it was your dream. But as soon as you get there, you're locked in. I mean, you've only done half of it getting there. You now have to compete while you're there and you have to put it on the show for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. And that's uh, it's just like, wow, I've got this opportunity. This is insane. <laughs> yeah. Good on you. So what were the next stages then? So you know you're going to go to the Olympics. Did you just feel an overwhelming pressure? And did your, did your training intensify? Did you work harder? How, how did you react to it? I reacted um, by just thinking, selection's there. Don't you let it get to your head. Now just fuck, just keep doing what you're doing. So I, luckily from just, for example, their knowledge from Shepard Hallam doing physiotherapy and stuff, I know, and just from training myself for so long and just knowing my body, I knew there's no need to change anything. I've, I've got here for, for the, the training I've done. That I need to, I'm trying to peak for Olympics. Just stay, stick to your programme train hard um and keep injury free but yeah it was just like now you've got to focus um a lot of people will probably let it get to their head and start getting a focus off training but i was like i need to focus more on training now because i'm in i'm i've been selected to go but i'm not technically on a sled yet so i need to still stay stay focused until you say okay actually you will be racing on that sled i i just and plus, I still had the fear of COVID, so I was just like, I was just training again, just by myself, tried not to avoid everyone. Yeah, COVID must have been so horrible because you put so much years of effort into this and all those late sessions, rain, snow, whatever, and you could just be in contact with the wrong person at the wrong time and they could take those dreams away from you. You must have been so fearful. Yeah, that, that was actually a massive, um, that was the only downfall. I'd say of the games is the fact that I you all I was on edge until I was on the start line and we put, we started pushing. I jumped on that sled and I looked down. And I was like, ah, okay, I'm Olympian now. So, like honestly, because because the thing is, we did PCRs every day at the Olympics and just let's say walking to the venue, they could have said you're flagged up, you've got you're positive, you can't compete, and that would have. I thought I wouldn't to do anything or that for flu. I just couldn't let that happen. <laughs> so yeah, you couldn't like, really rest until that till you competed. Yeah. You said then uh, when I sat down, I went, I'm an Olympian now. But I, I doubt you exhaled then as you're going hundreds of miles an hour down the track. 
you said that you crashed a few times. Have you ever had any major injuries from bobsled? Not major, but the crash in the race. So in, it was the two-man. Funny enough, the four-man never crashed the whole season. It was great. Um, but two-man crash is actually more painful um, because there's more room, so more time to move about and get hurt. In a four-man, you're, you're very wedged in, so you, you don't move about a lot. But we crashed on in the race, I believe it was corner seven. So you, you've already done, from, from I believe, I could be wrong, but it is around this, from corner one to three or four, it's like a three-story building drop. No. So early on, you're going 80 miles per hour very fast, and then you'll get to, you will get to 90. We did get to 90 in the 90s, and then, yeah, obviously crashed. And that actually, um, you're advised to, when you crash, put your shoulder in the sled and put your hammer on the ice because you when you're going so fast that ice suddenly feels like lava and you can get ice burns um but when that crash happened i physically the the g the force like threw me even though i was holding as tight as possible um and like my shoulder was on the ice for pretty much until we stopped and i had a massive bruising and uh it kind of hurt to move up from here but that's bobsley yeah that's the <laughs> risk that yeah that's the risk that you uh put yourself in and that's what you've got to do to to be great so mm. once again okay. it, yeah, yeah it you. you have to um accept the fact that one time or a few times you will crash and just just get on with it because that's that's the sport it's like Formula One in a way. You've got all these turns and it's high speed. And they used to say in Formula One, the safety's got a bit better now, but they used to say there's a 15% chance here that I might not finish this race and I might not see another day. And as daunting as it is, it's something that you have to accept before you before you jump in. Yeah. I'm actually, I love F1 as well. I always watch it. And um, they actually call um, bobsleigh F1 on ice because... Um, just like you said, it's similar in that way. And plus, your teams are the best equipment win. It's just, it's just how it, it tend to win. Like the Germans, their equipment's ridiculous. And they got one, two, and first and second, four man, first, second, third, and in two man. So after years and years of effort, you managed to get to the Winter Olympics. How were they? Oh, like it was, it was surreal. It was amazing. I wish everyone could get just even if it's one day taste of how being Olympian at the Olympics is it's just you get so much free stuff (laughs) Um, (laughs) and as a student that's the best isn't it that's one of the best things but the actual competing as well must have been mad as you said that realization that you've made it I mean you've got all these amazing stuff and they look after you really well but as you said the moment you become an Olympian and you compete in the Olympic Games must have just been surreal yeah it was like i knew it, it was just it just all went well like that day i felt good in the morning I had a good sleep and then i do my warm-up and um you do some like just drive out sprints and i my bo- i was like wow my body is shifting my 107 kilo body <laughs> is really shifting here um and I knew because there was like, it was an indoor training center. There's a big like cushion at the end. And like, I'd always like run to the same point, but I was still going with speed into that cushion. I was like, okay, this is going well. I had a lot of caffeine in me and I, I, I was ready to go. And then basically for the people who don't know, um, most sports is controlled aggression, which it is to a certain extent, but this bobsleigh is pure rage. You're like into that sled. So um, I'm on a side handle. It's like literally the mentality is snap that side handle in half um, and you take it out on that sled. Um, obviously, with the correct technique, you can't forget about technique. There's, there's, there's ways to push a sled. I can see everyone getting pumped up. Matthew's the guy on the back of the sled. I could see, like, I was looking at him. He looked like ready and focused, but like tears are coming down his eyes. Like, and I was like, yeah, he's ready. He's, he's, he's obviously, I don't know where his head was at that point, but he's. He's in somewhere, dark place in his own where he's about to really hurt that, like mash up that sled, and yeah, everyone was pumped. And then I pushed the sled so hard. I, I was actually you can't see on TV, but I was like proper growling when I was pushing that sled. I put everything into it, and then we 
pushed a very competitive time. Um, and we even beat like we were with a circuit with the South Koreans the whole time. We never outpushed them until that until that day. Uh, so I was really happy with that. And they were getting uh, medals um throughout the season. So oh wow, yeah. Yeah, and it was just amazing. And coming out the end and giving everyone a giving everyone a spur and a hug, and it was just like, yeah, we've done it. We've actually done it. <laughs> did you guys perform better than you were expected to? Where did you finish in the end? If you if you beat the South Koreans, that's impressive. Yeah, so the start time we did well. Um, our end time we actually came twenty eighth um, out of twenty eight, uh, and that was literally because of this sled. Like Shan Shan Rain did pilot drive drove really well, but we first had the sled what was so awful and that broke. Then we kind of they were lucky enough to, well kind enough sorry to um let us borrow this sled, but unfortunately that sled's over fifteen years old, really? and yeah so it's like us saying it's like you having a phone fifteen years ago and then a brand new iPhone or Samsung now you know it doesn't compare does it. No. Um, and you know everyone even like some people said to me like we can tell your sled's old um other bobsleigh t- um, teams from other nations um so equipment basically was the reason we probably ended up there because our, our push was competitive and shan rain considering he only only had six runs down the track before the race other teams had three weeks there every single day pushing so we had loads of disadvantages and obstacles, but how we, I think that's what a lot of sponsors, sponsors jumped on um, to, to us after the, like, or towards the end of the season, because we showed like, you know, you give us the funding to give us some high quality te- um, sleds and runners and we'll, we will, you know, we will get results. It's just, we've got the athletes here. Um, we've got the driver you just give us the equipment yeah that seems so unfair and we linked it back to formula one and you feel sorry for the drivers at the back because they've obviously got the talent and the skill to be there just like Mm. you guys but when someone's spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands on the latest aerodynamic sleds and someone's got canada's who you're competing against their old old sled yeah it's not fair from the get-go but the fact that you got there and you qualified and you pushed harder than a lot of the teams just shows that spirit and shows that you're you just once again deserve to be there yeah because um funny enough when we were um there's one day in training it was we were next to the canadians and like one of them came to me and said oh that's me i used to sit in your seat like like he he competed in ages ago he's a coach now <laughs> wow. um, that's a confidence and, uh, boost isn't it and um and then for like just so you can understand it, Francesco Friedrich, the guy who got two gold medals, uh, I saw on his social media that he showed a picture and it was literally a lap with his with his sled inside it with, with a wind tunnel and all of them inside it with like all scientists and mechanics all around it. Like how how can you compare to that? <laughs> yeah, you should almost be in different categories where because of the disparity between the sides, it's just, yeah, 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 disadvantage from the get-go, as you said. But how did the other teams treat you? Because you're obviously iconic with the Cool Runnings Association and mm. the Lucky Egg and, you yeah. know, everyone's watched Cool Runnings. And I think that really made, because you guys had BBC writing things about you, Sky. You're so yeah. iconic and the world, the world were backing you all the way. But how did the other teams treat you? So the other teams were actually, from what I saw, um, how they read in body language, were like kind of stoked and buzzing. We were there. Um, everyone was nice. Bob Slay in general, it were all one big family. Us talking to Netherlands, Netherlands talking to GB, GB talking to Latvia, whatever it is, um, everyone is one big family. And, and everyone seemed to like welcome us. Um, you know, come up to us with our congratulations first as uh, doing four man in 24 years. Wish you all the best. Um, you know, we didn't there's these special wheels, so you can sleds that sled's like 228 kilos. So special wheels to like get the the, the sleds to the start line. France just said, yeah, use ours. You know, teams are just being nice. 
because I always honestly back of my mind thought teams would be annoyed with us because for example it you know uh we were in loads of the GB newspapers and um Sky News ITV BBC uh, on TV whereas like we were getting much more press than the GB team and when we went to to Beijing we went through we got went to Paris and Paris to Beijing and on the flight was loads of the French team but there was media on there as well and media were just coming to us and interviewing us on the plane but not them so I always thought oh, people might be like annoyed oh it's just they're just here for show but no the teams were very respectful and nice to us oh, that's, exactly what, that's exactly what you want to hear and I'm not surprised mm. actually that Bobsleigh is such a a family because you all go through the same things you have to sacrifice so much time and times with friends and family and you all put yourself in that risk of this extreme sport and it is an extreme sport and this podcast here I'm doing a mini series for extreme sports and I don't think you can get more extreme than bobsleigh yeah it's just pretty nuts (laughs) (laughs) so what is that mindset again if we just refer back to mindset and of like your effort but you're competing in something where the quicker you go, the better your reward. So like, like a lot of sports, but the quicker you go in this, the more chance there is in a nasty accident. Yeah. So there's obviously the chance that something bad could happen, but how do you, do you, I'm interested to know, do you try and understand that and think you know what that is something that could happen but and and accept it almost or do you just try and dispel it from your mind do you just think no it won't happen I'll be fine how do you deal with Uh, that I think it's a bit of both so one one I know if I have any fear even one percent I know my body probably won't put as hard of a push in there how are you going to have fear and then push the sled as hard as you can it, uh, that to me doesn't work you need to have no fear um and yes i'm aware what can happen definitely and and certain tracks you have more awareness than others because certain tracks are easier than others um a difficulty basically for the driver to get down but it's just again i've what I've, I've accepted i've accepted that i'm before the season, I accepted there will be crashes. I, I said to myself, you will crash a few times. Get over it. You're going to get up and do it again, um, go again. And that's like, I think it's a bit easier for someone like me. I don't have any kids. I don't have people relying on, on me. It might be different if I had kids and stuff. I might second guess. Like, I might have a totally different mindset, but I'm young. I'm, I'm fine. There hasn't been a fatality in Bob for long. It's Olympics. If it was easy, everyone would do it kind of attitude just get on with it let's go this is how you get to olympics it, um it's not going to be easy journey so yeah that's an elite <laughs> mindset no that's an elite mindset the fact that yeah i mean it's going to be hard but everyone else would do it if it was easy and that's why yeah. i'm at the olympics that's why i put this effort in that's why i keep on top of my nutrition sleep that's why i don't go out <laughs> clubbing and that's why you're there and they're not who thinks they're going to be a bobsledder other than people born in countries where this it's a national sport or something that you just would never think it is a lot of people don't know what bobsleigh is so they know cool runnings but they don't even know what the sport's called so yeah <laughs> yeah you must have had some some good sponsors and stuff through cool runnings and you're saying about all the all the press but how many times have you watched it i've watched it quite a lot of times yeah i'm not surprised <laughs> i've watched cool Runnings a lot of times but not recently i haven't watched it a lot recently um I kind of inspired to watch it probably like this weekend or something, just because I've, you know, obviously we hear it all the time, um, but it's part of Jamaican culture, isn't it? It's uh, a lot of a lot of people probably in the team wouldn't, wouldn't be doing Bob Safe, didn't hear of Cool Runnings, and obviously Cool Runnings, that original team in 1988, set up this legacy for us to follow. So um, it is it is a big part of Jamaican Bob Do you go down with your lucky egg? We had a lucky head in the sled. Um, someone to this day, someone, someone sent me a, a rubber egg. I don't know who it was to this day. I've got that. <laughs> but someone else in the team um, went in the at Olympic Games. He had the egg. He got it out at the end. Yeah, yeah. No way. You, got, you have to have a picture of that. That'll go on BBC News. That's brilliant. 
there, I think there is a there is a someone sent me a someone sent me a news article from like Australia and there is Matthew is there so. <laughs> that's absolutely brilliant they're so iconic and um yeah I mean you doing that in in real life is uh you know I'm sure really inspiring the next generation and uh you've been an absolute pleasure by the way and um it's been a yeah, great podcast you. but just to wrap things up you were saying then about your tips with doing everything you can and your mindset and approach of people will think it's impossible but you've got to make it possible but if you were to give one tip to someone trying to achieve their dreams like yourself what would that tip be hang around with people or make friends with people with a similar goal to you i'd, I'd definitely say that i actually once lived in bath for a bit because that's where um the bob facilities are in the uk and just hang around with them made me want to train harder and eat healthier and all these things and they had a similar goal they want to go to the olympics as a bobsled athlete and then you learn you you'll learn things off of people you know training methods might be nutrition might be rehab and you tend to meet people more people for the same you just keep learning like um i ended up you know making friends with greg rugerford last year um, um you know he was getting into bobsleigh i was getting back into bobsleigh you know, and then and then I just asked him so many questions. What do you do for power development? How do you do your weight training? What kind of sprinting did you do? How many sessions? Everything. And I was doing that with everyone. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Surround yourself with with good people and just use them as resources. Utilize everything that they do and just gain their knowledge. Yeah, the, everyone's like a see. Imagine people are obviously human, but they're books as well and them books you have to talk to them to get the information so like yeah that's that's how i see it no that's uh, brilliant ashley and uh you've achieved so much and i'm sure there's so much more that you will achieve so um thank you very much for talking to me today and good luck with the uh, future no no problem uh thanks for contacting me and you know never, you never know you might see me around Sheffield. so again what a fascinating story it's amazing how Ashley was elite at so many sports at a young age, but wasn't able to achieve his childhood dream of representing his heritage until he saw a fellow friend's Facebook post and the rest is history. It shows that if you prioritize your time and stay open to opportunities or give a maximum effort that anything is possible. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Ashley, once again. Don't forget to follow Hurdles on at Hurdles Podcast and we'll see you soon.